This is case 37 from the Shoyoroku. Guishan's active consciousness. Introduction. Driving away the plowsman's ox, pulling its snows around, taking away the hungry man's food, holding his throat tight. Is there anyone who can administer the poison? The case. Guishan asked Yangshan, if someone suddenly said all sentient beings just have active consciousness, boundless and unclear, with no fundamental to rely on, how would you prove it in experience? Yangshan said, if a monk comes, I call him, hey, you. If the monk turns his head, I say, what is it? If he hesitates, I say, not only their active consciousness boundless and unclear, they have no fundamental to rely on. Grishan said, good. Hongxi's verse. One call and he turns his head. Do you know the self or not? Vaguely, like the moon through ivy, a crescent at that. The child of riches, as soon as he falls on the boundless road of destitution, has much sorrow. I want to begin by thanking you all for being here. Actually, I always want to begin by thanking you all for being here. Since you don't have to be here. And it's a beautiful day. Lots of other things you could be doing. Yet here you all. Some woke up early in the city, drove over. Philadelphia, earlier, drove over. Well, we got together for Zazenkai, but also to enter together our full Ango, the training period. And since time swiftly passes by, it seems as if yesterday we concluded the spring Ango. Every time we're about to enter an angle, I feel energized by a deep sense of gratitude for inheriting this great tool of our practice, as Dogen calls it. And I see the potential, the great potential it offers us for deepening, for awakening, for lessening the harm we cause. And every time we are about to conclude Ango, I look back and wonder, have we actually seized the opportunity? What have we done with it? Have we seized the opportunity or have we squandered it? It's the case with any tool of our practice or any tool. It's easy to go through the motion. It's easy to get by without fully embodying the experience. In the same way, it's easy to take a tool and not quite know what to do with it or not use it well. 
You know, sometimes people say, Ango doesn't work. Paul, would you say soul doesn't work? I'd say that's insane. You work with a soul, you work with a hammer. Yes. Would you say hammer doesn't work if it hits your thumb? It's working perfectly if it hits my thumb, sensei. <laughs> okay. This lousy hammer. Yeah. <laughs> I go by another one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's what we think. There's something wrong with Ango. There's something wrong with practice. There's something wrong with Zen. There's nothing wrong. Ango is just another one of the many skillful ways we are offered to use for, on the process of awakening. So the question comes down to, am I using it well? And how do I deal with looking back and realizing I have not used it well in the past? I have squandered opportunities. I have lost opportunities. So what do I do with it now? Looking back, looking forward, looking at this. How do we move? Are we held back by squandering in the past? Are we held back by thinking something doesn't work or creating a sense of a thing not working for me? What about the fixedness of such thoughts, such statements that we tell ourselves? So how do we enter with really giving it all, all we've got? Taking full responsibility rather than pointing a finger, blaming something, someone. How do we learn from past squanderings and enter this one with much greater resolve and vigor and with the strong intention to sustain it for 90 days? Maybe you think it's up to Kyotai to keep you energized. How about it's up to us to keep her energized as the one leading this Ango? How about not expecting or waiting anyone or anything to do it for us? The introduction begins by driving away the plowsman ox, pulling its nose around. What is pulling your nose? What are you tethered to? What are those habitual patterns about? In the second line, taking away the hungry man's food, holding his throat tight. Now what happens when all the stuff we rely on all the stuff that gives us comfort is taken away. When we are pushed to do things we don't feel like doing. It's easy to say, I don't want to do this because I just don't feel like doing it. Or because this was not my idea, somebody else's idea. 
That's one way to deal with it. Another way to deal with it is to recognize that it is coming from a really good place. And it is about our transformation. So to take away the food, to take away what we rely on, and to hold his throat tight, no more hungry ghost mentality, no more of that, then what? And then, is there anyone who can administer the poison? And in this case, is the teacher. And the job of the teacher is to take away what we rely on. To piss us off. To mess with what we like. Is there anyone who can administer the poison? That is the poison that kills and gives life in one blow. So who will push you? Who will keep you striving? Who is that? Do you know that one? How intimately do you know that one who is always ready to push you? Dogen wrote, the gatepost for this training period, Angro, is beyond the new and beyond the old. And it is beyond coming and beyond going. It is beyond past Angros. It is beyond future Angros. It is beyond anything you can think of. Right? And it brings us right back to this as an opening as an opportunity. And he says, when an ango begins, it fills all space without excluding anything in all the ten directions. And when it ends, it has gone, having torn apart the whole universe until not an inch of ground remains. For this reason, when the ango begins, it resembles your giving rise to your spiritual question, as you remember from last time. And when it comes to an end, it resembles your having torn apart the nets and cages of your delusions. And that's the point. That's the purpose. That's what this tool is meant to do. And of course it fits very well with the theme of our angle. No hindrance. Dogen says the purpose is to tear apart the nets and cages of our delusion, since we are hindered by our delusion. <coughs> how do we understand that? How do we understand what, are, what is a hindrance? What are delusions? So we try to get rid of them. Now we chant delusions are inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. Right? Which means we should recognize that they will keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Regardless of how hard we try to 
push them away, hose it down, vacuum, clean it up. In the other email, I mentioned the line from the Hot Sutra, which says, Bodhisattvas leave Prajna Paramita with no hindrance in mind. No hindrance, therefore no fear. Far beyond all such delusion, Nirvana is already here. Well, you know that, right? We chant that. We know it intellectually. This very mind, this very body is the body of the Buddha, as we just chanted. But this line implies an extremely vital question we must examine. What is the nature of hindrance seen through the penetrating eye of Prajna? Doing the Prajna Paramita or wisdom. The Diamond Sutra is the one, one of the original Prajna literature. The whole thing can be summed up with two words. Non-dwelling. Non-dwelling. Which is hammered again and again and again and again in different words. All of it comes down to non-dwelling. It's quite the opposite of how we are, how we live our lives. Non-dwelling means everything is originally unsubstantiated. And there's nothing upon which to rely. Nothing upon which to rely. That's wisdom. That's what Buddhism means. Prajna. The word prajna can be translated to a state of pre-knowledge. Pra is in pre and gnosis is in knowledge. Or the wisdom that is there before the knowledge we have accumulated throughout, throughout our lives shows up. Before we accumulate knowledge. There is wisdom. Well, it's there also when we and after we accumulate knowledge. It's just that the knowledge often can hinder wisdom. Accumulated knowledge, that is. Before we develop cognitive image of who we are, And maybe more importantly, the wisdom that's accessible at this very moment. Regardless of how trapped we are, how trapped we think we are. Before the mind moves and fills the space with contents. Before one thought arises. And what is there? before we construct names, forms, ideas, definitions. Who am I before I know who I am? 
Are we even interested in that? Right? To ask this question, it's inevitable that if I really want to ask this question and examine, I have to open up the hand a little bit, the grip. The hand that says, you are this and not that. What is there before the sense of knowing arises in the mind and occupies our attention? So that's wisdom. Now what is a hindrance? What is a hindrance before I define it as such and before I designate the one who is hindered? I designate myself to be the one who is hindered. In other words, what gives an obstacle in our lives a solidified appearance, something that becomes or seems to be a wall? Right? And the practice is always asking us to examine what we take for granted. And this koan is pointing at the way in many ways, our minds move within the vast and empty space. How we create what we create while all of it is unsubstantiated. All of it happens within unsubstantiated reality. Empty space. And how we compulsively create formations without a ground to support them. The teacher in this case is Guishan, a 9th century Chinese Zen master who was a disciple of Pai Chang. And Guishan, along with his disciple Liangshan, who appears also in this case, co-founded one of the five schools of Zen, the Guiyang school. And their, their Zen line lasted for about five generations. But through multiple recorded sayings and dialogues, it still is influencing us today. John C.H. Wu writes about the style. The style of the house of Guiyang has a charm of its own. It is not as steep and sharp-edged as the houses of Rinzai and Yunmen, nor as close-knit and resourceful as the house of Soto, nor as speculative and broad as the house of Fayan but it has a greater depth than the others, he says. And we happen to be in the Soto school. We're very fortunate to have a Rinzai stream in our lineage as well. And to have such a wide, large body of stories and koans to learn from. So in a way, all five houses of Zen are alive and well. So in this dialogue, Guishan asked his disciple, Yang Shan, if someone suddenly said, all sentient beings 
just have one active consciousness, boundless and unclear, with no fundamental to rely on. How would you prove that in experience? And Maizumi Roshi translated that as, how would you examine someone who happened to ask you, all sentient beings have unceasing karmic consciousness, but there's no basis on which to depend. Active and unceasing karmic consciousness, referring to the way our lives manifest in a continuous succession of thoughts, emotions, speech, actions that occur while we encounter moment-by-moment experiences. And most of it is non-volitional, knee-jerk reactivity and it's fueled by individual and collective karma. In fact, everything we experience, everything we see around us, collectively is fueled by how we were before, all of us, together and individually. Beyond this shape and form of this body. Right? Interconnectedness is interconnected. Everything affects everything. Nothing exists in isolation. So while this is true for everyone, as Grishan said, it is also true that all of it happens within the vast and empty space, and therefore it has no basis to rely on. It is true that everything affects everything, but it's also true that all of it happens within nothingness. Or another way to say that is because everything is interconnected, there's nothing there. Because when you point at one, you point at all. We can also say that while the results of our individual and collective karma function in the background of our daily experiences, the karma by itself does not create a hindrance, which is important for us as we examine our hindrances. Dogen said, the concentrated endeavor of the way allows all things to come forth in realization to practice going beyond in the path of letting go. Right? So the concentrated endeavor of the way allows all things to come forth in realization to practice going beyond. So when we practice going beyond, in this case going beyond what arises, karmically speaking, in the path of letting go, passing through the barrier of dualism and dropping off limitations in this way, how could you be hindered by nodes in bamboo or knots in wood? How can you be hindered? Don't say, of course, I'm hindered. How can you be hindered? What does it mean to be hindered? I create me, I create this, and I'm, I am hindered by this. This or that person or that situation. Is it true? Beyond convention, is it true? 
How can you be hindered by nodes in bamboo and knots in wood? How can you be hindered by life? When life itself unfolds within boundless and unfathomable spaciousness, no beginning and no end. We're not making this up. Look around. See if you can find something that actually exists unto itself that is not a part of a continuum. So how exactly are you held back by your thoughts and emotions? By physical sensations, by situations you encounter? By what other people say? Or what they don't say? By having something, by losing it? This is the stuff we're talking about. You know, it doesn't mean we don't encounter challenges, or we don't, or we should ignore thoughts, emotions, situations, or other people, and then throw this out and then practice spiritual bypassing as if it does not exist. The experiences are there. Pain is pain. Or the feeling of being insulted by something or someone, or being reviled by someone, or life itself. We do experience it. But, you know, we, we fall into a trap of thinking, you know, in a binary way as if. I'm either taken by and completely capitulate to all my thoughts and emotions, or I ignore them. And just sit straight, focus on my breath. Either one works, neither one works. This is a trap, and that is a trap. And in a, in a way, both of then both of these ways we ignore something fundamental. We ignore interconnectedness. We ignore karma. We ignore spaciousness. We ignore what really matters. But there is a third way, which is neither rejecting thoughts and emotions nor allowing thoughts and emotions to dictate and govern our lives. There's a third way in which we recognize that while all of it is happening, is happening in midair, so to speak. Well, this planet is floating around in nothing. Right? And we are on this planet. So we are also floating around in nothing. And even individually, there's a lot of nothing within this something. A lot of space. Within each one of us. So 
So our active consciousness, which never stops, it's fueled by karma, also by society that quantifies everything, puts our pressure on us to fit into some box or throw each other into some box. And if there is no box, we will quickly build one to make it fit, to make it work. Because we feel quite lost when something appears and we don't have a box to put it in. So we build one. We build one. You know, the, the, the problem is that we, we trust that we have to act this way. We trust it. So in practice, one of the important things is to mess with what we trust rather than hold on to it and allow it to dictate, to mess with it, to say maybe it's not true. Maybe although I feel held back, I only feel held back, maybe I'm not. Right? What happens when you think, I am held back by this person? And what happens when you say, well, maybe I'm not held back by what this person just said? What happens if you allow it to go through and keep going? You know, the practice is asking us to acknowledge the active consciousness with all its swirling thoughts and emotions. And at the same time, not be taken by them. And through cultivation of power, of intentional investigation, which is what Ango is. Go beyond them. Intentional investigation, in this case, means to not accept it face value or anything. To not be so certain. To not be so sure about anything, actually. To get away from absolutes. in terms of speech, thought, action. <clears throat> Yangshan once asked Guishan on a different occasion, what is the true abode of Buddhas? And Guishan said, by the ineffable subtlety of thinking without thinking, turn your attention inwards to reflect on the infinite power of the divine spark. When your thinking can go no further, it returns to its source. Where nature and form eternally abide, where phenomena and noumena are non-dual, but one, it is there that abides the suchness of the true Buddha.
where nature and form eternally abide, where phenomena and noumena are non-dual but one. When the active consciousness and the space in which it functions are realized or recognized as non-dual, where the mist and the space are seen as one. The phenomena is the object or event seen through our perception. And the noumenon refers to object or events as they appear by itself, independent of how we view them or it. Things as they are versus things as we experience them through our active consciousness. And in practice, it's inevitable that we will move from me and my story to practicing. Now I practice oneness, now I go back to getting lost in the multiplicity, in the mess. Then I go back to this, then I go back to the mess. It's inevitable that we will actually see it this way because it's somewhat expressed this way as upaya. But the, the process, as long as we keep practicing, practicing correctly and use the tools of our practice correctly, the process begins to little by little eliminate that gap, that line. And then form is no longer form, and formless is no longer formless. To a point that we don't have to worry about it anymore. So hindrances arise from our engagement with the phenomenal reality as we experience it through our active and karmic consciousness. And so by recognizing the noumenon within the phenomenal, we open up the possibility of seeing that our active consciousness functions within a vast space with no fundamental to rely on. It makes sense, doesn't it? Maybe that's the problem. It makes sense. Oh, well, there's nothing there. Great. But wait a minute, why do I feel so upset? Why do I feel so upset? Why am I pissed off? Why am I bothered? Why do I feel defeated? Because there's nothing there. Nothing being there allows all things to arise and vanish. Nothing is defined by anything, which means anything can arise at any given moment, as it does. And anything can vanish at any given moment, as it does. Sometimes all we have to do is wait it out. Do nothing, just wait it out, see what happens. Examine emotions. Without the 
my emotion, parenthesis, just emotion. Examine the emotion. Don't give it anything. See where it goes. No, the, the Pali term for, for hindrance is nirvana nani, which actually means to cover or overwhelm. It's interesting, the word overwhelm, right? To, I think that often we are overwhelmed by ourselves. And because we don't know what to do with that, we give it a name. And usually it's you, right? You are the cause of this. If you had teenagers, kids, you know what it feels like when they are so trapped. They don't know what to do with that and they're completely lost, overwhelmed by the pressure, peer pressure, school pressure, not understanding what to do with this. Who am I? What is that? And you happen to be there, so they take it out on you as a parent. They don't want to. They're just overwhelmed. Taxed, heavily taxed by so much that's going on. And definitely not seeing spaciousness. So overwhelmed. It's a good way to translate hindrance. Or to cover. It covers. It blinds us. To the empty space. It blinds us to the no self. So all there is. Is self and other. So we don't see that self and other function. Or appear within. No self and no other. There's still the need to deal with self and other. Within, no self and no other. In the Sapita Tanna Sutra, the Buddha spoke about the five hindrances, which I may talk about at a different time, maybe devote the part of potential attention to that. So, Five hindrances which keep us stuck within our active consciousness and revolve the wheel of samsara. And these are sensual desires or greed, ill will or aversion, laziness, restless and anxiety or worry, and doubt. Doubt is a big one. That's why we have the great trust. This is not the great doubt as in the three pillars. The great trust is what quells that doubt. Or the great trust is what we need to turn to when doubt, doubts arise in our minds. So sensual desire, greed, ill will or aversion, laziness, sloth, restlessness, anxiety or worry, and doubt. If you look at what you feel that you feel like hindered by, you will find yourself in one of those. 
So back to the Quran. Grishan asked, if someone suddenly said all sentient beings just have active consciousness, boundless and unclear, with no fundamental to rely on, how would you prove that in experience? And Yangshan said, if a monk comes, I call him, hey, you. If the monk turns his head, I say, what is it? If he hesitates, I say, not only their active consciousness, boundless and unclear, they have no fundamental to rely on. This question, what is it? It was very common in Guiyang school, and then often used by many other Zen masters later on. There's a story about Pai Chang, Guishan's teacher, who once got on a high seat to give a talk. But instead of offering a talk, he drove everyone away with his staff. As they began to disperse, he called them and asked, as they turned towards him, he asked, what is it? Go away. They get up and go. Stop. They turn over. What is it? Right? What an opportunity to awaken. You come for something. You don't get it. In fact, you reject it. Then you stopped. Look back. And you are given this profound question. What do we do with it? What is it? Highly potent question. Has the power to transcend our delusive way of being and break through a continuous chain of samsara. It's a good answer. If somebody asks you, what is Zen? You can say, what is it? Give him that. And see what happens. question drives you directly and single-mindedly to the experience of this, to the experience of the vastness which is covered up by our hindrances or by our designation of what is a hindrance. So this was the expectation of Master Guisha to ask this question. And it's the expectation of the Zen tradition. You may remember the story about Jiang Yan, Kyogen. Kyogen means up a tree from the corn. When he was enlightened upon hearing the pebble striking the bamboo. And this began, his, his journey there began with Grisha and his teacher, as in this case. The one day Grisha said to Jiang Yan, I'm not asking you about what your knowledge from reading scriptures. You must say something from the time before you were born and before you could distinguish object. Express from the noumena. Express something from nothing. Can you speak from there? And if you can, what would you say? So 
So, as the story goes, Zhang Yan was confused, unable to answer. Sat in deep meditation, gave it some thought, then mumbled a few words to explain his understanding. Guishan kept rejecting him, said, No, this is not it. And then Zhang Yan said, Well, then the master, please explain it. And Guishan said, What I might say would merely be my own understanding. How could it benefit your own view? Zhang Yan searched through his books, found nothing, and then sighed and said, A picture of a cake cannot satisfy one's hunger. Because if it's not experienced, how can it sustain you? What do you do with it? So after that experience, he gave up the study, devoted his time to taking care of some gravesite of one of the ancient masters, and then based on a famous story of realization, and he was sweeping the ground one day, a pebble hit the flung from the broom, hit the bamboo, and he was awake. He then wrote a verse. One strike and all knowledge is forgotten. No more the mere pretense of practice. What is pretense of practice? We should once in a while stop and ask ourselves, is that what I'm doing? Transform to uphold the ancient path, not sunk in idle devices. Far and wide, not a trace is left. The great purpose lies beyond sound and form. In every direction, the realized way Beyond all speech, the ultimate principle. That was his verse. Then he asked another monk to take it to his teacher, Grisha, and Grisha saw that and said, the disciple has finally penetrated. But it doesn't end there. Yangshan, Grisha's disciple, heard about this verse and said, this is a good representation of, the, of mind function, but wait and I'll personally go back and check Zhang Yan's realization. So later, Yangshan met with Zhang Yan and said, Master Guishan had praised the great matter of your awakening. What do you say as evidence to it? Zhang Yan then recited his verse. Yangshan said, this verse could be composed from things you've studied earlier, meaning your knowledge, your pre, or your accumulated knowledge. If you, if you had a genuine enlightenment, then say something else to prove it. Jiang Yan then composed a verse that said, last year's poverty was not real poverty. This year's poverty is finally genuine poverty, completely shedding everything. In last year's poverty, there was still ground where I could plant my hoe. In this year's poverty, not even a hoe remains. So Yang Shan said, I grant that you have realized the Zen of the Tathagatas, but as for the Zen of the ancestors, you have not seen it even in a dream. This is holding his throat fast, taking the food away from him. Well, he could have said, the hell with this guy. My teacher approved of me. I don't need you to approve of me. But he didn't. He didn't. He went back and looked at it again. 
How many of us would do this? When we hear such an answer about something, we all just realize something. Can't you see? You haven't even dreamed about it. That's a big hindrance, isn't it? Rejection, non-approval. So Zhang Yan then came up with another verse that said, I have a function. It's seen in the twinkle of an eye. If others don't see it, they still, call, they still cannot call me a novice. When Yang Xian heard this verse, he went back to Gui Xian and said, It's wonderful. Zhang Yan had, has realized the Zen of the ancestors. Just the fact that he did not create a hindrance from this shows a lot. Shows non-dwelling. I succeeded dwelling. I failed dwelling. I keep going, where's the dwelling? I fall down, I get up, where's the dwelling? Or where do you find yourself? So John Wu's commentary on this, he says, if we compare the two verses, we should be able to see the distinction between the two orders of Zen. The first represents already a high degree of spiritual life, but it belongs still to the stage of faith, meditation, and asceticism, in which one deliberately ponders and applies the precepts and counsels as found in the scriptures. This is called the Tathagata Zen. The second verse is a spontaneous articulation of direct insight into the inner person who is one's true self. This is what Yangshan called the personality stage as against the faith stage, experiential versus thought-based or faith-based. If it's experienced, it's already Real. It's already united with. It's already an expression of. And then it says the second line, to look at him by a twinkle is the vital core of the verse. And it points to the mysterious self. It points to the vast spaciousness self which you are which we are with the mess the verse says one call and he turns his head do you know the self or not When someone calls your name and you turn your head, how intimately do you know the one who is turning the head?
Are you held back by the grip of convention? Or is the head free to turn in any direction without any shred of thought about gain, loss, me, you, other, earlier, later? Simply turning the head. Not knowing anything about anything else. Is there greater freedom? How do you express that? That's why he said, if he hesitates. If we hesitate, we think. If we think, we hesitate. Vaguely, like the moon through IV, a crescent at that. As you know, heard many times, the moon is a depiction of realization. And in this verse, Hongzhi is referring to a conversation between Yangshan and Shandao, where Yangshan asked, when the moon is crescent, where does the round shape go? Shandao said, when it's crescent, the round shape is concealed. And when it's full, the crescent shape remains. When we see a sliver, a part of, we don't see the roundness. We don't see the entire shape. It's not, it's not there. But from where we are standing at that time, it's not seen. It doesn't go anywhere. And when it is seen, it doesn't come from anywhere. But for us, to us, it changes. Sometimes we get it, sometimes we're lost. Sometimes we have clarity, sometimes we're completely confused and lost. But even confused and lost, nothing is lost. And even with clarity, nothing is gained. And when we see it this way, in a way, we can give ourselves permission to be lost, to be confused, to be sunk in the mess. Yunyan, who's Dongshan's teacher, commented on this and said, when it is crescent, the round shape remains, and when it's full, the crescent shape does not exist. It's another way to see that. Essentially, it does not exist. Regardless of the way it feels, it does not exist. It does not exist as, in separ- or as something separate from anything else. Meaning the sliver is not separated from the entire moon. Then it says, the child of riches, as soon as he falls on the boundless road of destitution has such has much sorrow how much unnecessary sorrow and pain and suffering is created when we don't realize 
that just this is it. When we don't realize that we are this. That we don't need to travel anywhere. That it's okay. Actually, it's okay exactly like this. non-dwelling and what happens when we allow experiences to be or allow ourselves to experience things fully without dwelling what happens to the hindrance when we give ourselves permission to fall down get up fall down get up right it's wide open So Ango begins today. Whatever happens within this Ango, doesn't matter. How many times we fall down, it doesn't matter. Get up. Get back to it. Right? Collectively and individually, whatever we decide to, whatever you decided to walk on, whatever we decided to walk on together, show up. Be there for that. Don't create anything off it. Put everything on the line so when we end this angle, when we conclude and we have a closing circle, we look back and we say, yeah, I've done something with it. I did not waste the past 90 days. 